Welcome to the Home Loan NBA, the show that demystifies the home financing process for all, whether you are buying your first home or are a seasoned investor. This is for you. I am your host, Ivan Aragon. This podcast is for informational and illustrative purposes only. It is not an offer or solicitation for a mortgage loan or any other service. It is not legal or financial advice, even though the host is a licensed mortgage loan originator. Welcome to the Home Loan MBA. This is episode four. Thank you for being with us and welcome to the show. Today, we will be talking about timing, that perfect time to buy a home. You know, the one that you hear about on television, reality TV. Uh, it's the perfect timing and the perfect place, and everything's going to work out perfectly. Well, let me give you an example. As you've heard from the music to this show, uh, I'm a fan of Latin music, specifically going out and, and dancing salsa music. Now, if we ever go to a dance performance, uh, we look at it and we see that most of the performers have perfect timing, perfect execution. They have a choreography that this just looks amazing and everything fits right where it has to be. And we think that is just gorgeous. We love the art. But if you are having your own house party and some good music comes on and people start dancing, you don't really criticize everybody's moves or everybody time, everybody's timing on every little part. It's about the moment, the memories, the fun. The execution may not be perfect, but it's yours. It's personal. That fun memory isn't necessarily the perfect time dance, but it's the one that works for you. Timing for buying a home is personal. Just in the same way as doing your own little dance at home, you may not be the one that comes out in the next uh, TV show, but you have fun, you enjoy it. So today we're gonna cover two topics about that personal timing and what makes it your time to purchase a home. We will talk about affordability and need. In affordability, we'll discuss things such as your paper versus your real income, that famous thing that is called that to income ratio, talking about uh, your real cash flow and buying a, a home and looking into uh, what type of mortgage to get. In need, we'll talk about things such as your family and what are your, the things that are coming in and in personal finance. The, these are different for everybody, so there are good things to consider. Are you ready to dance? Let's get going. All right, let's start with affordability. When is the right time to buy a home? The first thing that I tell everybody to consider is how much am I paying in rent? If you can comfortably afford your rent, then that is a good place to start as to how much you're going to be able to pay for a home. Now, some of you may be uh, living with roommates or having uh, really cheap situations where you may be renting from a family member or your family is living in the property owned by your parents or things like that. Uh, those are 
different situations where your rent is going to be nowhere near the market value that it is today. But if you're paying market rent where you actually went out and rented a place, that gives you a good gauge as to see, to know what you can afford. Now, most people assume that when you're going to be buying a place, you're going to be paying more in your housing, and that is mostly correct. But that rent payment is, again, the first step. If you're going to be paying something similar, then you already know that you can afford it. It's really easy to get lost in the weeds of all the things I'm about to talk about because there are details that look like finance and they look like recommendations that you should or you shouldn't do and there are differing ideas. But let's get back to the basics. If you could, for example, if you could comfortably afford, afford a payment of $1,500 and all the homes that you're going to live in are $1,500, then you know you can afford a house that where your payment is going to be $1,500. Because regardless of what you do at that point, you can afford it and it's going to be your own. Anything over that, then you have to consider other, other aspects of your life. Again, we're dancing. It's a little different for everybody. We don't catch on to the same shoulder movement that our partners do, but it's a beginning. We're starting. Now, the next step in affordability, now that we're going to get into the weeds of, of affordability, is income. As far as your income, we have to decide on two things. One, what is your gross income? Now, most of the decisions in the mortgage lending world come off the gross income. But let's look about that gross income really is. It's your income on paper. We have to consider the last two years of your income. For the most part, we'll consider your last two years of tax returns and your current year-to-date uh, pay stubs. These are your hourly wages. So if you get paid by the hour, we'll consider your hour hourly wages and uh, how much that would be depending on the hours that you work. If you always work 30 hours a week, then we'll consider that as the 30 hours a week. If you work full-time, then we'll consider the 40 hours a week. What if you're on a salary? Well, on the salary, again, we'll consider your yearly salary. And what your employer really uh, is presenting to us that you make and that they pay you. Now, there are many things that come into income, such as uh, if you're hourly, you might get overtime. Uh, if you're hourly or salary, you might get bonuses. You might get uh, differentials, uh, for example, uh, based on your shift, uh, based on wherever you work. All those little things that are extra, uh, we have to verify them for over two years. So for example, if you had a job that I always paid you a salary and now you and six months ago got a new job that you're making commissions, uh, we can't uh, use those commissions because you haven't had them for two years. Now, if you had a job that paid you commissions before for the last year and a half and you got a new job and doing the same thing, just making commissions somewhere else, then we could uh, be able to average your commissions for the last two years. Again, we're looking at what's on your paper income. All these little details matter. And so when, you're, when I'm talking to clients, when you're talking to a mortgage professional, which I always recommend, you have to uh, really understand that when they're asking you all these little questions, they're not being intrusive or they're not being uh, 
picky or not wanting to lend to you. Actually, it's the opposite. We want to give you the best deal possible. And if you're not getting asked these questions, then you're not dealing with somebody that's super experienced. Get somebody that really asks you about everything about your employment and that looks at your at your pay stubs and is able to ask you about where that money is coming from if, it, if you have a complex situation. Now, what about if we have gaps in employment? Uh, some of the most common gaps that we see are uh, if you had a season, if you have a seasonal job and for some time of the year you don't work, that is acceptable. We just have to go back till we have two years uh, of employment. So if, for example, every summer you don't work because your job is seasonal, then your employment history is going to be over two calendar years until we have two years of your employment. And we'll have to prove that your employment is seasonal. What other types of gaps are they? Maybe you had to take leave for some reason. Uh, and maybe that leave was uh, either for, uh, for family or uh, anything, any personal uh, time that you had to take off. If it was official leave, again, we just have to explain why you had to take that leave and then uh, prove that you've had continual income. Nobody's here trying to deny your loan. What we're trying to do is to make sure that you have the ability to repay the loan in the future. If you have continual gaps of employment where uh, you're always switching jobs every two years, if you have gaps of employment, such as those seasonal gaps that we talked about, all we're trying to do is that you to know that you have the ability to repay the loan, that you're not switching jobs all the time, uh, and that you're just quitting a job to take two months off and then quit another job because then uh, you would be a little bit riskier to know that you'll make your payments on time. Uh, another common gap may be uh, higher education. You may have uh, some small jobs during your college years or during your graduate school years. Uh, and then now you get the job that you wanted, the job with your degree. Uh, and so we will still check those last two years, but your degree will be an acceptable replacement for uh, prior work history and then be able to uh, use your next income from your next offer uh, or your uh, next place of employment uh, as, as income that works for your home. So again, this is all on paper. If you are, uh, if you do some side jobs, uh, for example, that you do some uh, some work here and there, maybe you drive some Uber or or Lyft, all of that separate income may not be on paper and doesn't count. So it's really important that we know what your uh, income on paper is. There are programs, and it's not for this episode to discuss uh, for self-employment people that uh, we would only use their bank statements, for example. But that is uh, outside the scope of this episode, and we'll discuss that later. Or if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me. So let, let me give you an example. If you make $96,000 a year, that comes out to $8,000 a month. You have a $96,000 salary, $8,000 a month. That's what we're going to be using for your income. So that's paper income. Now let's go into the real income. Now... Uh, everybody can. Everybody knows that whatever you, your employer says they're paying you, 
does not what makes it to your bank account every pay period. The real income is your cash. How much cash do you actually have to pay your bills? Now, that is not necessarily considered in uh, mortgage lending. There are some programs that consider your disposable income. Uh, but for the most part, the, this real income is something that you have to decide personally. And uh, in case of you have a family, as a family, to decide how you're going to uh, really set up your expenses. So what is that real income? Well, you have your after-tax income, right? So your taxes are going to be taken out of your, uh, pay st- or your every pay period, and that's the cash that goes to you. You have some other uh, somewhat fixed and variable expenses, like your utilities. Those will vary depending on the season and depending where you live in the country, which seasons are the ones that are more expensive uh, one with the other. Uh, your transportation, uh, whether you're using public transportation or private transportation or your own vehicle, there are costs associated with it. Uh, if you had your own vehicle, your car insurance uh, goes along with it. Uh, your, your cell phone, your entertainment, one of the most important ones that I know a lot of you personal finance gurus are already telling me, why isn't he mentioning this? This is your savings. You should be saving some money, usually. And then you have charity donations, uh, family obligations. Uh, some people have obligations to help parents, to help um, uh, your kids. Uh, if you're your kids are in a soccer league or any type of sports, there are expenses that come out with those. Those aren't necessarily showing up on your credit report or anywhere else except on a monthly bill that you sign up for. Uh, you also have healthcare premiums. You're in, in the case of the when we mentioned your paper income, uh, you may be getting insurance, healthcare insurance through your employer. And that comes out of that paper income, uh, but it, it's after you've been paid. So it may come pre-tax, but we're not counting uh, that expense into your into your bills in the mortgage industry. So depending on how big your family is, what type of, of um, insurance you selected, of insurance plan you selected, this this will be an expense that you have to take into account. And along with that is if you have some uh, some family conditions, you'll know that you have to take into account your uh, deductible for that healthcare premium. And depending on how high or how low it is, those are expenses that you already know are coming to you. Let's put this into a, a good example, and let's practice with that $96,000 a year person using as much round numbers as we can. $96,000 a year, $8,000 a month, and let's say your total being taxed 25%. I know this is the first per state and per locality. So we're just using round numbers here. So if you're getting taxed 25%, you end up with $6,000 a month in cash to spend. Let's say you save 10% of that. And so now you're saving $600. And then you pay $300 in health premiums and $100 uh, for uh, for a cell phone. Well, now all of a sudden you only have $5,000 left. And that's what you can spend on everything else we have discussed so far. Uh, your groceries, your personal needs, entertainment, your uh, kids' soccer league, 
everything that we talked about. That's the real cash flow of your home. And this is an analysis that a lot of people don't do. Why? Because they're usually trying to keep up with the neighbors. Uh, the good old saying, don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, if you're trying to keep up with your neighbors, trying to keep up with your family and, and others, you're going to find yourself in a situation that is going to be very hard once the reality of life comes in. So in all of this, I haven't even really talked about home loans yet, right? Why? Because this is the first step. If you don't know where you stand in your personal finances, anything we talked about home loans is going to seem very hard or very foreign. You need to know where you stand so that you can make the right decision regarding your mortgage. All right. So, so far we discussed your real income versus your paper income. This is kind of like discussing the first steps of a dance, a little bit of the history. Let's go now into those famous words, the debt to income ratio. This is where we're gonna be learning the steps, the basic steps of a dance. All right, ready for the next steps? Ready to learn some of these dance moves? Let's go into the debt to income ratio. These are famous words that you hear all the time and every personal finance guru on television and online will tell you about your debt to income ratio and will throw it out there. And uh, you might feel smart at a cocktail party throwing that your debt to income ratio is really good for the mortgage that you qualified. But really, what is it? What it really is, is the proportion of your gross income that is used by official debts. Those official debts, well, I'll explain in a little bit, but they don't include your groceries or anything like that, just the official debts. In the mortgage industry, we have a housing ratio and a total debt ratio. The housing ratio, or you'll hear some mortgage professionals sometimes call it the front ratio, it's something that you usually want to keep at around 31%. Now, Again, that number is, I'm being throwing that number out there. It's something that you hear as a general sense, but every family is different. So don't take that as uh, the one thing that you have to do. This housing expense, this front ratio, again, is comprised of usually about five things. And again, these vary depending on your situation. What is that housing expense? Well, first off, is the principal and interest. This is exactly what goes to your loan every month. The principal uh, is paying off your loan, and the interest is the interest that you owe. So if you have a 30-year loan, you'll make 360 payments. And at the beginning, more of that payment will go towards interest. And as you move on in the loan, more of that will go towards principal. This is a part that is the same with every uh, close-ended loan that you get, whether it's a car loan or a personal loan. Uh, this is the same, principal and interest over a length of time. Now, something that is interesting in the mortgage industry is that usually if you make a down payment less than 20% of the home value, you'll have to pay something that's called mortgage insurance. Now, 
Mortgage insurance is not inherently bad, uh, but that is a discussion for another episode. Uh, mortgage insurance may be something that is good and something that helps you uh, obtain the home now, but do not wait until you have 20% unless you talk to a professional. This is something that uh, I, you know, we could spend a whole episode talking about mortgage insurance, why it's needed, why it's calculated. But just know if you pay less than 20%, you'll be paying this mortgage insurance, and it's something you have to take into account. And what is mortgage insurance? It covers your lender uh, in case you default or you know, give up the home for a certain percentage of the loan. And that is determined upon the risk of your profile. So again, part one, principal and interest. Part two, mortgage insurance. Part three is your homeowner's insurance. And this is the, the, your regular home pro- property insurance that covers your third-party liability. And in case of a fire or a big loss, it would cover the lender uh, to know that your home would be replaced and rebuilt uh, to the same standards uh, that are available today. And then part four is your property taxes. Depending on the locality where you live, this could be county, city, or combination thereof. And these are taxes that you have to pay. Because if you don't pay property taxes, the government agency that collects the taxes could take over your home. Uh, your ta- you can get a tax lien on there that gets sold. And uh, there's a lot of procedures, legalese to go about it, but you have to pay your property taxes. Part five is what I call to all my clients the quasi-optional one. Because in certain parts of the country, you need to have a homeowner association fee. Some of you may hate them. Some of you may love them. But for what it's worth, if you live in an area where it has a lot of homeowners associations, you have to take into account that you have to pay a homeowner association fee. Now, for the purposes of our housing ratio, our housing percentage over our income, uh, your homeowner's insurance, property taxes, and association fees get averaged per month. So that we know on an average per month how much you're going to be paying for uh, your housing. So beware of those uh, ads that say, oh, you could get a home for this much. And in the very fine print, it just says principal and interest only. Everything else is extra. Just be aware of ads and read the fine print and talk to a professional to speak about your own situation. That's what it's important to talk to somebody that knows what's going on in the industry and knows what they're doing uh, in regarding to your home. Now, that's the front ratio. That's the housing ratio. But I told you that there were two parts, right? So let's go back and look at the back debt to income ratio or your total debt to income ratio. So this includes that housing expense of those five parts we discussed, plus all other debts that you may have. Now, those debts include any, any minimum payment on a credit report, so any, any car payment that you may have, your credit cards, uh, your, um, your personal loan. Um, if you bought a timeshare, that would probably show up on your credit report. Uh, all the things that show up on your credit report would be included on here as your minimum payments. Again, your minimum payment. And we'll talk about student loans here in a second because that's, that's one that is a little bit trickier. Now, 
it also this this ratio also includes any total housing expense on another property. So let's say you own another property with a family member, and on that housing expense, that you uh, pay a mortgage and your taxes and insurance are not paid through the mortgage. Well, we'll have to add taxes and insurance because again, that's part of a housing payment. So any housing expense on any other property that you own, any other real estate owned, will go into this uh, calculation. Uh, other things that may not be on a credit report, uh, but that need to be included on it, are if you're required to pay child support, alimony, or separate maintenance. Uh, if your student loans are on deferment, uh, depending on the program, there'll be a calculation as, as to know what uh, amount of a quote-unquote monthly payment will be included in your debt-to-income ratio. Uh, and again, we'll have to include, uh, if you had properties that are owned free and clear, we'll include the property taxes and insurance and, and homeowner association fees on those properties. Uh, another one that is big that sometimes gets missed is if you owe back taxes uh, to the IRS, your tax installment payments need to be paid, included on there. And you better be making those payments or else you won't be able to get a home. Now, again, let's go back to this example. This $96,000 a year person, $8,000 a month, let's say they buy to buy a, a home for 350000 and put minimal down payment. For our purposes here, I'm going to say the total housing payment of all those four, four parts is about uh, $2,075. So uh, the front ratio there would be about 25 uh, to 26%. That's how much the housing ratio would be. Now, as, as we're looking at things that uh, that housing ratio can be, Let's add some other debts they can have. So they could have a car payment for $350, some credit cards for $150, student loans for $200. And to so again, for those keeping score at home, that's a total of the debt of $700. So now their total debt ratio is 34.67%. So now their total back ratio is 34.67%. Again, mo most recommendations are that you're at 31% on your housing and 43% overall, but there are a lot of programs that let them be expanded to close to 50% or more. Now, is that beneficial to go more on your debt? Let's go back to that real debt. Again, we didn't include the following, you know, the fixed expenses, the utilities, the transportation, the cell phone, your savings, your charity donations, your family obligations, healthcare expenses. This is all a dance. You need to know once you put all those things that are specific to you, to your own family, to your own personal situation, does it make sense? Am I taking the right steps? Am I making, am I having fun doing this? Am I doing something that's going to make me happy? Or am I doing something that's just going to be uh, a drain on my family, a drain on my attitude, a drain on my mental health, just because I wanted to say I was a homeowner? or because I wanted to live in a specific neighborhood, or because I wanted to keep up with my cousin, or with whomever. It's your dance. It's a dance that you want to make. Again, we talked about is it affordable based on my income, based on the things that I need to do. Let's find out the next part of the dance, the thing that will make it just even better. 
So now that we've covered whether you can afford it based on all kinds of different factors, now we have to discuss those specific uh, things that are just about you. Is it really a need or a want? Do you really need that home? Now, this, if you were keeping up with the dance uh, analogy here, this is kind of like that one move that you're trying to make. But if your, uh, you know, if your back is a little, you know, it's not working with you, there's certain moves that you can't make because you're going to get hurt. It's the same way. Even though you want to make those moves, you know what you need and you know what your situation is. So let's look at what those factors are that you should take into account. For example, uh, is this going to be a starter home? If you're single, are you going to be renting to uh, to roommates or are you going to keep living there? Uh, if you're single, if you have a partner, uh, are you going to do the same with roommates or are you going to be bringing in family? That lets you know how big of a home you need or what type of space do you need. In a COVID-19 world that we live in today, maybe you need an office space at home in order to uh, to be able to keep your mental health in place. Uh, maybe you need some some more space uh, in a suburban home because you want to go outside a little bit more, spend more more time uh, cooking outside or barbecuing. Or maybe the opposite. You want to downsize because you just want uh, a, a smaller condo that will fit your needs and you don't need uh, that much space. Uh, maybe you have a growing family where you know you're going to have to make some adjustments to the home and you might be looking towards the future for renovations or uh, adding on to the home. Those are all aspects of, do you need that home? Do you need that specific uh, property? Do you need those specific uh, things in your home? Uh, That could mean going from, do you need a kitchen that is big enough? Or uh, do you just need a small kitchen because you rarely cook? If you don't take those things into consideration, you're going to have paralysis analysis because specifically how the market is going as of the the recording of this uh, show, things are moving fast. And so you just can't sit there and and look at everything and expect to take three weeks to decide if you're going to want uh, any of these homes. You need to go in already knowing what you need uh, in your home. And the last thing that you need to consider as whether you need that home or not, is any of the aspects of personal finance. Because you might have certain goals, certain retirement goals, or certain uh, family goals for your own personal finances. And again, it goes back to that real income versus that paper income and deciding what is best for you. If you have some savings or some things that you want to buy, some debt that you want to pay off sooner, take that into consideration. And mention that to the person that is helping you. And I have these discussions with my clients all the time. I I say, tell me everything. Tell me everything that you want to talk about, things that you have in mind. Don't feel that you have to hide anything from me or that I'm going to judge you or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, we want you to be dancing and enjoying your next home. So we covered what is it? Do you need it? Or is it just something you want to keep up with somebody else? And that's a hard conversation to have with yourself and your family. But it's one you need to have now instead of once 
once you have a debt that is really big on your shoulders. This is what makes that dance fun. There's little extra moves, there's little personalized uh, moving of the shoulders or the hips or whatever. That's what makes it fun. So bringing it all together, we may enjoy going out and seeing uh, dance performances that are perfect. The timing is just amazing. They just go with the music. Everything just flows and the steps and everybody on stage just knows what they're doing. And it's just gorgeous. And you know what? You could be a professional too. And that you could go home and dance like that as well, and that would work out. But for most people, if you're like me, you enjoy just going out and dancing. It's not just about knowing the moves. It's about enjoying the company and enjoying the process and being with people that uh, enjoy knowing that they could just have fun while they're dancing. And that's how your dance parties are at home. That's how things are every day. In the mortgage industry, it's your world. It's going to be your memories. It's going to be your home. Let's make that clear. It will be your home. This is where you will make memories with your family, with your loved ones, with uh, anybody that comes in there. It's going to be your home. So make it your home. Make it that dance. And know that when is the right time? Well, when you can afford it. One thing that I mentioned earlier was that you need to compare your rent. If your rent is going to be the same as, as buying a home, then go for it. But uh, once you take everything into consideration, what are your goals? What are you really wanting to do in life with your personal finances? Because all of that together is what makes the perfect dance. It's what makes your home yours. So most important, out of all the things we talked about, again, not getting into the weeds of everything, is talk to somebody that is a professional. Talk to the, the lo local mortgage broker in your area. Uh, feel free to call me for, if you need a recommendation for somebody in your area. But talk to a professional that's going to ask you the right questions for the right time and get you in the right plan for your situation. And that, my friends, is what makes the perfect time to buy a home. We went over a lot of information today. So feel free to find me at Home Loan MBA on Instagram, at Ivan E. Aragon on LinkedIn, or on my website at IvanAragon.com. If you prefer to send an email, Send it to Ivan at IvanAragon.com. Hope to see you here next week. The opinions given here are of the respective host and guest. They are general in nature and do not constitute specific advice. The host, Ivan Aragon, is an employee of P1 Home Loans NMLS 1857499, which has a mortgage broker license in Arizona of 1002194 and a California Finance Lenders Law license of 60DBO117389. 
The host, Ivan Aragon, is a licensed loan originator in the state of Arizona with NMLS ID 1468842 and the originator license of 1003203 and additionally has his California DBO and MLO license number CA-DBO 1468842.